What's up, guys? Today, I am super excited to be talking with someone very special to me that I've known for quite some time. We've worked with her family in our planning firm for many years now. So I've had the privilege of working alongside this great family through a big part of this journey. And I'm especially proud to see the progress that they've made. My guest today is Dr. Maggie Abraham. Maggie is a very established and experienced pediatric gynecologist. She's also a mom to four kiddos and a wife to a great husband. So it's safe to say they have a lot going on with that. However, lately they've had even more going on that we're going to be talking about today. In particular, Maggie recently made the decision to leave her super safe, financially secure, and very established hospital-based position. And this was not something she was really planning on. But nonetheless, she's leaving to venture into a new professional endeavor that's loaded up with all kinds of unknowns, that's very unpredictable, and comes with a lot of financial risk. So some might think her decision to leave this comfortable place and go into somewhere or something that's so uncomfortable is maybe a bad one. However, based on what I know about what they have going on and what we discussed today, and the fact that she has this renewed glow about her, which you'll see from our conversation, I'm extremely confident this is a fantastic decision. And it's one that I don't think she'll ever regret, except for maybe regretting she didn't do it sooner. And I think you will also agree after listening into our conversation. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation now. Welcome to Finance for Physicians, a show where we empower physicians like you to practice medicine the way you always dreamed you would. This podcast features doctors, physicians, and experts that share one main thing in common. We believe having control of our finances leads to having control of our lives. In a world where doctors' lives are often dictated by our needs to maximize income, pay back massive student loans, and buy homes, many of us give up reaching those goals. But it doesn't have to be this way. If you are ready to learn how financial wellness creates happier doctors and patients, then I'm your guy. I'm your host and financial expert, Daniel Wren. Let's get started. Maggie, thanks for chatting with me today. It's good to be here. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. You have, I know you have a lot going on. We've been kind of catching up on things. The really the interesting thing, you're at this unique kind of intersection of life and work, and I'm excited particularly to talk about all this stuff you have going on. So just to kind of give a little bit of a background, Maggie and I have known each other for quite a while. We worked together one-on-one with her family. I was looking back, I didn't realize it had been quite this long, but it's been since 2015 or 2016. Wow. So, quite a while. And that was around the time actually where I was in a similar spot in my life where you are today, because it was early in on that business interest. So Maggie is at this really interesting point. So she was working in the super safe world of established traditional healthcare, we'll call it. And some people would define it as super safe and, and secure. But and I would say from an outsider's view, it was a very successful career. But now you're at this transition point where you're leaving it and going into this world of like the unknown and the uncomfortable to start your own practice and kind of lean into this big, huge, scary change. And despite all these like currents going against maybe starting your own or making this jump, you're doing it anyway. So I think, first of all, that's like, you you deserve lots of congratulations for doing that because that's like a big, scary, courageous thing. And I think most people probably get a little bit down the road of where you've gone and then they stop because there's so many like hurdles and the current is against you. So it takes a lot of courage. And I think it's, it's really important to remind yourself of that. It's a big deal that you've taken it as far as it is, but maybe we could take a step back first. So that's kind of where you're at is you've got this big transition going on, but like, did this happen overnight? Was this like a boom, you're doing it or where did it, when did this all start brewing? Well, as you mentioned, I've been working with you since 2016. So obviously all my finances are perfectly tucked away in this great box. Yeah. And they are perfect. They are great. Y'all. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's still a lot of work to be done there. But yeah, you're right when you mentioned that it's kind of safe. I think I did kind of tuck myself away in academic medicine or working for a large organization. I graduated residency in 2010. So 
Yeah, I've been doing this a while. But along the way, my priorities shifted a little bit. I got married, have four kids, and my work's still really important to me, obviously. You didn't mention, but I'm a pediatric adolescent gynecologist. So that's a small subspecialty niche within a larger field of obstetrics and gynecology. And so I love working with teenagers. (laughs) And I think when you work with teenagers, they take on risks. They're not afraid to challenge the status quo, try new things. And I guess maybe over time, some of those things rubbed off on me. I think one of the things I realized quite early on in medicine was that in medicine, I'm replaceable. Hmm. And so I feel like I've always sort of been aware of that piece and also realizing that at home with my family, I'm not quite so replaceable. And so there's a lot of things you can outsource and we've had some great people help us with our kids and different things. But over time, I think that balance, the tension kind of grew for me. And there was definitely a lot of professional interests and pursuits that I put aside at different times just in order to have balance. And then kind of, I would say over the past two years, working for a large hospital organization. That tension point was kind of coming to the surface again for me. Pediatric adolescent guide is a small field. So over the years, I'd sort of sought out practices where there were multiple providers. So we kind of share the call piece in particular. And at one point in my current practice, in my most recent practice, my partner left because her husband got another job and I was in it on my own. One of my biggest fears kind of realized. And when that happened, I was on call 24 seven, pretty much. And that was really hard. I think the balance kind of, and I started to reevaluate things. And then I built up the division and the trade-off was that at the end of that, once we recruited more people that might scale back. And so I scale back to part-time, hoping that I'm going to be able to rebalance kind of my responsibilities on the home front, as well as my professional interests. And in going part-time, I thought my call would get prorated accordingly. And the organization were not, they didn't see it the same way. So they wanted me to continue to take 50-50 call. So being on call 50% of the time. And I realized that just wasn't sustainable for me. And so I handed, I said, if that's the way it would have, it is, then I wouldn't be able to continue in the position. And I kind of had, you know, seen it kind of head in that direction. And so I kind of toyed around in my head with the idea of what if they require me to take 50% call, what will I do? And I'd kind of loosely toyed with the idea of, well, I think I'd have to resign. And then I put that thought away because it's pretty uncomfortable thought because then you're like, well, what if? And it came to that. So I did actually resign. And then when you're a physician, you usually have about three months notice to work through. So that was a tough time. Everything I'd worked towards, I was kind of letting it go. Yeah. Did they try to get talk you into staying after you're like, no? It wasn't quite, no, my letter of resignation read, well, there was a conversation and then followed by a letter of resignation. And it said, I can't meet the call requirements, but should they change, I'd happily reconsider. And, you know, it initially met with 24 hours of crickets Mm. and then um, they didn't reconsider they did. They circled back a little bit later when they, there there had been some leadership changes too mm-hmm. within the organization. So I think that played a role, but yes, they did not. Yeah. Circle back to try and make things work. But at that point, it was a couple of weeks down the road and I'd already kind of wrapped my head around the idea that, okay, like I'm going to do this differently. And Daniel, it's not just one thing. There was mm-hmm. the call piece but there was also a lot of other things that I had just kind of made peace with, you know, I think, you know, I kind of made things work for me, but the call piece was like, it was just a compromise. I wasn't willing to make anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I kind of knew in my head first, and then 
it was kind of this surreal experience of walking it out, just knowing that it was the right decision, even mm. though it felt really hard. And I like, yeah, I think, you know, when you put so much into something, you hold on to it so tightly. Mm. And for me, being a doctor is really important. It still is. I love being a doctor, but working for large organizations has its challenges and also some great things. There's a mm. lot that I'm grateful for, but yeah. What were some of the others, other reasons? So call, I know is the kind of the straw that broke Campbell's back. Yeah. The deciding piece financially, I've always been willing to trade, not always, but largely willing to trade money for time. So I was always quite careful in setting targets and different things like that to make sure that I had a little margin in my life. So practice volumes were high and the pressure that was definitely, sometimes I had patients, new patient appointments were three, six months out at times. And so there's a lot of access issues in our clinic and that was getting increasingly stressful, just trying to find places to work patients in and just getting through volumes, volumes. Like where you had thousands of patients, I imagine. Oh, I had a practice of over 5,000 patients. Yeah. I don't know exactly. Obviously I haven't done the job, so I don't know for sure, but I can't, I think my max on like knowing people is like 300 people. I start to like forget names and like not know. I don't know how intimate that's you're able possible. to get, but like, how do you even know more than a thousand, much less 5,000? Like oh yeah. I mean, shared practice. So historically the practice was started by a colleague and so she had built it up and then another physician had joined along the way and mm. she had left after a few years and then I had joined. So kind of had the remnants of their practice too. And then there were my patients that I built up. So, I mean, you're not touching, you can't, <laughs> but a patient is still considered a patient of the practice, even if they haven't been seen within mm. Three years, I think, is is the cutoff. So yeah, large volumes for sure. And I will say there was a couple of times where I realized that I was kind of wading in shallow waters. Like I knew enough to know that if I asked a certain question, it was going to open <laughs> a whole yeah. other line of conversation and that was going to derail. The, like in your interactions with patients? Do you think that compromised your ability to provide the best healthcare? Yeah. I mean, there is no substitute for time, you know, and as efficient as you get, you still can't get around that. You can never be fast enough for mm -hmm. administration, right? But in order to provide good, good health care, you really have to give your patients time because imparting knowledge is the easy part, but partnering with a patient to embark on good health decision-making is whole other process. The art. That's like the art of it. Yeah. It, yeah, it is. And so often like giving them the education is the easy part, mm -hmm. but then helping them to understand it and then to sort of helping them to incorporate it into their lives and building, building a relationship whereby, you know, they share with you what their limitations are. Connecting with your patients is it's so important in order to really be effective and bring healing to any situation. And so, yeah, like there's a lot of different stories, but you know, my daughter, my five-year-old is quite a spitfire. My youngest, she came to work with me one afternoon at some gap and I don't know, I had to pick her up and sit her in my office for a couple of hours. And she turned around to me at the end of it and said, mommy, I thought you were a doctor. And I was like, Oh yeah, huh. I am a doctor. And she's like, oh, you're not a computer person. Wow. And I was like, oh yeah. Cause that's really what she saw. Obviously I wasn't bringing her into patient rooms with me. But she's still... in my office. Yeah. And so there was a lot of those moments. The kids always are great eye openers to things. They're like, they're really good at observing, not always so great at interpret interpretation, right? Yeah. yeah. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Ren Financial Planning. I'm sure many of you, like Maggie, are feeling like the healthcare system has stretched you so thin that you're unable to provide the best care possible to your patients. Or maybe you feel like family has taken a backseat to all these work obligations. Or maybe you feel like you're actually working more as a computer person than a physician. Unfortunately, these and other challenges are getting worse and are really weighing down physicians today. 
I believe for many of you listening, it's time to make some big, scary, and uncomfortable changes like Maggie did. Now, I know anytime we start talking about big, scary changes like this, all kinds of fears and doubts start popping into your head. That's when it's especially important to have a support team around you to help you through it. The good news is our team at Rin Financial Planning is here to help you. These fears and doubts are all very normal questions and concerns that regularly come up in our work with physician families, especially when they're approaching big life decisions like this. Oftentimes, finances and financial competency are at the root of many of these questions. We know how to help you work through these concerns and begin to use your money as a tool to make courageous decisions like Maggie's. Our team will help you weigh out the pros and cons of big changes like this. We will have your finances in tip-top shape so that you know exactly how to make this happen financially. And you can leverage our expertise and experience to map this all out with solid confidence. And if you decide to make the big jump, we'll be working alongside you like an expert guide, making sure you're on track and making solid progress. If this sounds interesting to you, please schedule a free consult with one of our planners at Friend Financial Planning, and we can talk more about it. You'll see a link in the show notes, and when you do, make sure to indicate you found us from Finance for Physicians. We look forward to talking to you. Okay, let's get back to the show. But she really did reflect back to me, and I was like, yeah, like spending a lot of time charting. And honestly, there was times when, you know, I just go into clinic and I'd be like, today I'm just going to like not chart. I had an off, I worked, I scaled back. So I had time to chart outside of the office. And that made a huge difference sometimes. I just be like, oh, I'm just going to interact with my patients. <laughs> Fully. You know, multitasking is applauded, but I think there's give and take there. And so, you know, you can't really make eye contact and type at the same time <laughs> or send in a prescription or, you yeah. know, it's not really feasible. One of them's got to go. <laughs> yeah. And there's so many nonverbal cues in conversation and you miss them. And so I do that from time to time. And then I'd sit down and be like, okay, now I need to package that whole encounter into a billable visit. And it was kind of switching gears. And I was like, gosh, if I didn't have to document so much, I really feel like I could give more. And I think the documentation has definitely increased over the my lifetime in medicine. It's a bit of a killjoy. Yeah. And people talk about getting scribes, but it's not feasible for everybody. But the and, other thing is like, what's the purpose of the documentation? Is it, I mean, there's one thing to do like valuable for the patient's interest, like really important notes are valuable. But if it's like kind of like halfway garbage, you're like this is just for billing purposes. You're like, I'm just doing the things to check the boxes. That's mind numbing, I think. And I think honestly, if you have huge volumes of patients, you almost need that documentation because- can't remember. Fall back on. Yes. So there's that whole piece to it. And then there's important detail, but the time crunch of it all, like seeing patients, documenting everything. And for me, a lot of my notes are consults too. So they're going back to primary care providers and different things. So, so some of it's of value for sure. And then it's helpful for me to be able to enter back into the narrative and know certain things. <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm not holding that around in my head, but it is exhaustive. There's a lot of it that's redundant for sure, mm. and, but it's also there, there is a role for it, but I think mm. it needs to be rebalanced. And if it's important, then we need to be given time to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, all the, so there was multiple fa factors kind of brewing that were causing some stress or like didn't seem right in how your work was going. I wouldn't, I mean, I don't know if you'd call it like burnout. I don't know the definition, the burnout thing is all over the place these days, but. You know, I wrestled with that. I was like, am I burned out? I don't think so. <laughs> I should emphatically say no, because I still really loved seeing my patients, mm -hmm. um, but I also really felt that I wanted to show up as a parent too. And I was enjoying those bases. And so I wanted to be able to have both and you could have it all, just not all at once. So I felt like I scaled back. I took a salary cut and I still wasn't able to balance things. So, I mean, they had to make it, I felt like in the end, like I had to go, <laughs> I needed to go for myself. Yeah. 
there was also a huge part of me that was kind of doing mental gymnastics in my head to try and make my situation work because I was comfortable mm-hmm. in many respects. I've made peace with some of the trade-offs. I talk about them and say like, they're kind of far away from how I envisioned practicing, but yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a ton of my experience in so financial side of the a different industry, but super similar in the, I was working in the traditional world of financial services and there's a lot of problems there that were basically like inhibiting you from being able to provide the best possible advice and help for people and lots of production focus and a lot of the similar challenges in healthcare. But I kind of, once I saw that, I basically created, and I just realized this, I created this like hurdle that I kind of knew was insurmountable. Like they couldn't jump this hurdle. Like I'm talking about my employer Mm. and I created it and I'm like, well, if they can do this one thing, that's like going to allow me to act in my client's best interest, then I'll stay. And so I'm like, Hey, here's this thing. I need you to do it because it's going to, it's the only way I can truly act in my client's best interest. And they're like, we we just can't do that. Mm -hmm. And I knew going in that they were unable to do it kind of, but I, it gave me this like definitive point where when they said we can't do that, I'm like, I guess I'm out. Like, and that was my point where I'm like 100% out. And it was great to know that, but it's so hard to get to that 100% all in point. Right. Sometimes you have to kind of all out, right. (laughs) All out on one thing, all in on another thing, maybe, but it sounds like yours was similar. Yeah. Yeah. It had definitely gotten to the point where I was like, I can't compromise anything else. And uh, yeah. And then when they didn't meet me (laughs) in my ask, I was like, okay, I understand that, you know, they've got an organization to run and Mm -hmm. this is how they choose to run it. And so, yeah, it was a parting of ways. And then it was like, (laughs) what do I do Uh now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So at that point, when was that, when that happened? When did they say like, "Eh, I guess we're not going to be able to compromise. So I had a thought around December that Mm -hmm. this actually happened in the new year. Like they might require me to take X amount of call, which I can't feasibly do. I mean, I can do it, but I can't do it. You know what I mean? And then it actually happened in January. And I mean, my husband was, you know, my husband, (laughs) he was wonderfully supportive. He was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, do something else. And honestly, my son had been saying it to me for, I don't know how long, but he's like, mommy, why don't you be your own boss? And like repeatedly, because, you know, my husband and I had been talking back and forth about different things and all the kids would hear our conversations, but he was the one who kept saying it. So in January, I think towards the end of January, February, there was a couple of meetings stacked up for the new year. You know, nothing happens over Christmas really. And so I was prepared. I think that it might happen, but I really thought like slim chance, but then it was my reality and I didn't have a plan. And Joel kept saying to me, just take time. You don't need a plan. And I was like, have you looked at our, our finances? <laughs> we talked to Daniel Wren. But thought about a lot of different things. Those three months were really, really hard. Like working mm-hmm. out my notice, going to clinic every day and tucking in procedures and loose ends, but also finding landing places for, you know, my patients and, and then telling them that there was like a scheduling issue. So it was kind of like, you know, the practice were like, tell them so patients know they can't reschedule and just having to tell them every day. And then honestly, that was really rough. I I feel like I'm probably getting stuck on saying it out loud. Even now Mm. it was heartbreaking in many ways. And it definitely, I'd come home after a day and just be like, gosh, working out this three hard, these three months notice was really hard, just emotionally, just stepping away and not knowing what was next. Like they would keep like my patients would say to me all the time, or the parents, where, where are you going to be? Like, what are you going to do? And mm. I was like, I don't know. But I kept saying, Google me. You'll find me on Google. <laughs> that's which, gonna is, be. which is pretty, pretty good thing to say. I mean, you can find anything on Google. I know. <laughs> and then I started to think, and then 
just evaluate things. And I like to run. So when I run, I listen to your podcast from time to time. And so you were doing, talking a lot about direct patient care. And I started thinking a lot about that. And I'd spoken to some colleagues too, about starting my own practice. And things just started to take shape. If you if you like, can dive into a little bit about some of the fears mm-hmm. around all of that. Yeah, I mean that's scary. When was it? What was the scariest point? Like, what at what point were your like? I mean, was it right before that conversation with them about the breaking point of you're going to be out or in? Yeah, the scariest point was definitely letting go, mm-hmm. letting go of my current position and stepping into like nothing. Yeah. What were you telling yourself? What were all the like reasons to not do? I mean, that's what usually in my head, I'm like, here's all the reasons not to do it. You know, you're kind of talking to yourself. What were the conversations like in your head at that point in time? Well, I already felt I'd compromised a lot. And so to Mm -hmm. continue to take call like 50% of the time was just compromising my family. I think people sort of forget that doctors, you know, you take a, you, when you care, when you enter into a caring relationship with a patient, like it's a weighty thing. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's more than just, I mean, it's meaningful and wonderful, but, you know, my kids would be like, oh, mom, are you coming to X, Y, and Z? And they're like, are you on call? Mm-hmm. Are you going to get called away? And that being a factor 50% of the time, like, That's you know, good. the other weekend, the weekdays were a little bit easier to manage. And honestly, I think it just took its toll over time. And I just didn't want to factor mm-hmm. anymore. Didn't want to take two cars to places or juggle the kids last minute. And it was really my desire to show up more on a home front that really made it unsustainable for me to. Yeah. To get. That's what I would say that's super important that sticks out most about all this is like, well, two things I think is that when you were talking about you're replaceable at home versus at work, you can be replaced. In other words, like your job as a mom is super important, like very important. And then the other thing you mentioned about like the volume and the pressures basically compromising your ability to provide quality healthcare to your patients, or it was getting to that point. And so it's like, to me, those are like major values conflicts. That's the way I would see it. It's like a values conflict. Like you're getting kind of pushed the direction of a conflicting with what's most important to you. And, but that's this call thing was kind of like the breaking point. It's like they're drawing a hard line and it's going to conflict with your values. And, but in order, when you make a decision, I think when you're able to make a decision that's like in alignment with your values, which was to say, no, I'm out that's like a home run. And the problem is so funny going back to like finances and scary and fear and all the things that hold you up. Like those are all, you can figure those out and the fears are usually overinflated. And, but like the values thing, like that's, it's almost like that's a huge win. And I think usually when you get through those hangups or hurdles, you feel like really this like breath of fresh air and you feel more yourself and you feel like, like, you've made a good decision, even though it's kind of scary and there's nothing there, but like, I'm curious for you, it seems like this was like a big, ultimately a values decision. It was like about what's most important to you. And you made the, to me, the right decision. Cause it was aligned with your values. And we haven't even talked about what the new alternative is. I'm we're kind of at this point where you're going into nothingness and I'm still saying, I think that's a home run decision. And I'm a finance guy. I'm like, not even <laughs> asking about the numbers at all, but what was your feelings at that point in time? Yeah, like there was a, there's a lot of scariness about the unknown, like what next? Like I'd always had something to jump into, but there was like some concrete pieces. Like my kids were established in school. We weren't moving anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I knew that whatever was next, I was, I still, being a mom is a full-time job. But for me, like I really also wanted to practice medicine. And when I was leaving my job, yeah, like I was also scared that there was a huge gap. What was going to happen to my patients? Who's going to take care of them now? And so as I sat with many of those things, I started, and the things that people in my inner circle, my family, my friends, the people who really know me were saying to me were also things to consider, like, 
um, what about being my own boss? Like, what would that look like? And mm-hmm. when you're not at work and you don't have to get up and go to work, there's a lot of time to actually think about things and time to be creative and time to sort of unpack what's important. You know, I really realized that I didn't want to work for another organization for a while, even though I'd value doing that for a really long time. And I want to be really clear in saying that there's so many great things about working for big organizations. There's exciting things that I got to do and a lot of great things. And I got to work with a lot of really great people too. So it wasn't all bad. This didn't suit me to continue in that position because my life has evolved <laughs> 15 yeah, years. a lot. And so, and yeah. And I also think that we have been thoughtful over the years about making sure that we have margin. And I know maybe my finances could look a whole lot better. Well, they could always look better too. That's like, you don't want to go too far down that road. It's like your finances. Well, I'm not going to get into your finances because it's private between you you and us, (laughs) but like, we'll talk generally speaking, like typically the type of people that work with or are willing to pay for help all around their finances and stick with it for a long period of time and follow advice, your finances are going to look pretty solid. Like you have a lot of flexibility. Oh, they're, they're never perfect, but like your finances are solid in that you're able to make big life moves. The scary part, even if you have millions and millions of dollars and billions of dollars, even like some people that have a ton of money actually have an even harder time making that kind of decision, whether it's like money worship or like fear of loss or whatever, like it's not all the money is just a tool and you just want to kind of use the money to allow you to do the things in life. And that's, I would say you all are more than in a position where you can kind of do the things in life, even if it involves making a big career jump like this. And that's, So looking at someone that's just really no margin, lots of debt, overcommitted on their finances, like, or even maybe straight out of training and has student loans on top of it all. And all that stuff can compound. And really there, I don't, I'm not trying to say like, do anything anytime independently of finances. The finances are obviously important, but you don't ever want to get to this position where your finances are holding you back. And I think a lot of people are at that spot, or maybe they don't even know yeah. Where they're at with that. And I guess I just wanted to add to that. Yeah. One thing I really had to wrestle with was like, what is my source? Is my bank account and the finances that I have, is that going to be the, what the place from which I make my decisions? But I really, a friend had said this to me like a long time ago, and I keep circling back to it but what is my source in life? And I know that, and you, you know this about me, but yeah, like I'm Christian. And so when I will say that I realized in making some of these scary decisions that, you know, my bank account will never be enough. I'll never have perfect security in it. So yeah, I think being good stewards, using our money wisely and being generous, but I've been broke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I've been okay when I was, I mean, I don't like that place. Right. Well, it's like, but I, but I think the Christian, the call of Christians is actually to embrace un- discomfort. Comfort. You yes. know, comfort is not in- endorsed necessarily, but mm. that's a cultural thing more than anything. Like we all really work hard to get comfortable. Right. And I feel like I was comfortable and it got a little shook up for me. And there's nothing wrong with being comfortable either. It just got to the point where it was time for me to make some changes. And I felt like it's been really uncomfortable and it's also been <laughs> let go, but I can talk a little bit about yeah. the things that I, that were really scary for me. So once I got past the idea of not having a paycheck, which my husband was totally fine with, <laughs> my kids were really great about it though. They were like, well, mommy, you're not working now. So can we still afford to do this activity and they're willing to kind of, well, maybe we can just take a pause for a while. And Um, they probably like love seeing you around more too. Yes. And they do. And I've loved being around just 
picking them up and taking them to places and just seeing who they are in their mm-hmm. environments. Like, I feel like you don't know what you're missing out on until yeah. you, I don't know mm-hmm. what the answer to that is, but we don't know what we're missing. And almost to keep going, sometimes you kind of have to block that out. And I don't regret, I don't regret my life to this point, but I feel like I'm, ex- I'm glad I made the change that I've made, even though I'm still in a what's next point. But I was really scared. I think when I was scared that I wouldn't be able to practice pediatric adolescent gynecology outside of a big organization. Mm. And I was, you know, looking at different job opportunities and I I started to realize, gosh, like I really want to do this my way. And so that was one thought I had going forward. I was like, whatever chapter I enter into next, like I want to practice pediatric gyne. And I don't want to do it under the constraints of an organization. I want to do it differently. I want to have more time. I want to feel less time pressured. I want to be able to go a little deeper if the situation calls for it. And I want to know my patients better. You're right. You can't know thousands of patients well. And some patients don't really need you to know them, I would argue. They're coming to you for a specific reason, but others do. And in order mm-hmm. to provide, like, indi- it, healthcare has to be individualized. And we have to be able to relate to our patients well in order to enter into a therapeutic relationship. And that's only possible <laughs> if there's time to do it. So that was one thing. And I guess. One of the other big fears I had was just failing, like mm. putting an idea out there and it not working. And so when, and the other thing too is, I don't know if you know this about me, but my dad was a veterinarian. So I grew up with him being on call all the time, mm. <laughs> constantly, mm-hmm. our life, his life constantly being interrupted with calls. But I also grew up going places with him in the car, in the van and going out to families. And I mean, I think that impacted me a lot as a child, but also he had always said to me, like, don't work too hard. Mm. And he worked really hard his whole life. And I think it was rewarding, but I really got to a place in my life where I realized I don't have to work super hard in order to provide financially for my kids or my family. And that's definitely a luxury, right? But I also realized that I wanted to balance things a little better, maybe Mm. or differently to what he did. Mm. And so I was always really scared of going into private practice or my own practice, because I always felt that that would come with this big burden of call and being available and all of those pieces, hmm. right? Yeah. And so I think sometimes the promises we make in childhood, right, come back to, to bite us as adults. So I think just unwrapping that a little bit and realizing that, hey, look, you can create it a little differently. The demands and the pressures he had are different to the ones that I have. Hmm. So I can be creative in, in how I engage it. And I wound up being in practice by myself for a year. And so not by choice, (laughs) because I would never have chosen that for myself, but I realized actually, no, like it's okay. And then the whole idea of direct patient care, like I'm not inventing this. I'm not one of the trailblazers. It's trued, tried, it's tested and proven to work. So I feel like for me, it's kind of onboarding on something new, like as an early adopter, but there's a lot of security there. And then one other thing I guess I'd like to say is that, yeah, I think we all probably worry that we're going to fail at something. And I don't know, like, I'm okay with failing if nobody sees me, (laughs) but I don't really be the poster child for not being successful. But um, I realized, gosh, I would already was kind of exposed just in my, my inner circle I'd admitted thing. I'd said things out loud, like, Hey, I want to start my own practice. And then what was stopping me just my own unwillingness to step into that and Mm -hmm. risk failing. And I decided, gosh, I'll really regret it if I don't try it. 
And that I think ultimately was the thing that that kind of propelled me forward. I was like, I'm gonna do this and see how it all pans out. Yeah. Yeah, that getting to that point where you can connect the regret to the lack of action. I think the big the most common regrets people have are like not doing the big scary things in life that they know are probably worth trying at least. Whatever, not even professional, like anything. So just doing it anyway, despite the fact that it's big and scary and and failures on the table. That's also the going into the uncomfortable thing and being uncomfortable comes with this whole idea that you might look like a fool. <laughs> You're putting yourself on the line and people may be like, man, that or, you know, people are going to be like, that's not going to work too. I don't know if you've had, have you had doubters? No. That's good. You. I mean, when I spoke a little bit about, to people about starting a private practice, a lot of people were like, oh, you're going to have to partner with a group so you can get group rates on things and that sort of a conversation. And I was like, oh, I'm actually kind of thinking doing things a little differently. You're like, I'm not doing insurance. And they're like... Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And maybe I just haven't spoken to enough people, Daniel. Yeah. I, mean, I talk to more people, they're gonna like tell me. I mean, but so I you selected out the people that I'm gonna talk to, to, to all the people who are gonna tell me this is gonna work. Just kidding. Yeah. I mean, your influence, your sphere of influence is huge, is a huge factor in all this. You've already mentioned people, you've kind of family and hearing people's input and that kind of thing can be really good, but it can also be bad. Like, so you have to be careful who you're rolling with. I mean, not that you don't associate with people, but there's definitely Debbie Downers out there all over the place. And they're just like used to the, you know, the types it's like, yeah, that's the way you gotta do it. Cause that's the way it's always been done types. And you know, that's just what they're going to say. And it is what it is. And they just can't wrap their head around doing things differently. It also depends on how we're going to measure success here. Right? Correct. So you know, the financial piece is obviously a consideration, but like, this is bigger for me. This is about, you know, doing healthcare the way I feel I will do it best without the constraints of, you know, an organization, but also it's about the risk, you know, and I think it's about being able to balance showing up in all the places that I care about and mm -hmm. all the places that I feel I'm called to be present in. Mm -hmm. So it, it's kind of more, I hope <laughs> to balance my books well, like it don't mm. get wrong. Well, it feels, it also feels like it can feel alone when you make the decision to, even though you have people that you can like, you know, your spouse, your friends, your family or whomever, but like at the end of the day, it's on you, you know? So one of the big decisions I, you know, that I am aware of that you made was to hire help to really help you quarterback the whole startup process, like a consulting firm. And, and that I think is an expensive thing, like on, you know, it costs money. And a lot of times there's a temptation to be like, oh, I'm already pinched financially. And why in the, how in the world could I possibly justify writing another big check when I'm already in this scary financial position to pay somebody? And then you start kind of nitpicking the thing. And then you're like, well, I could do all these things myself. And it's just, you go down the road and it's just difficult to get to that point. And most of the time people end up like, I'm just going to do it myself. But you made the decision to hire help and, and, you know, be on board which in some ways is really nice because you got a teammate kind of, and you got somebody to help. But like, what was that like deciding? I think it seems like that was the first big decision after once you decided, you know, I'm out. And then you kind of drifted towards this idea of starting your own practice. Then it seemed like the next progression would be like, well, how am I going to assemble things? Right. So I think, you know, there was a couple of steps like saying out loud, I'm going to do this. And then moving on from that place of how am I going to do this? Mm. And again, mm -hmm. I had listened to one of your podcasts and I was like, oh, there, <laughs> there's somebody else that can do this with me and I can pay them and they'll do it. You know, they'll help me do it right. Mm. I, 
I never, I don't want to, I didn't want to overlook anything, you know, from a legal standpoint or from any standpoint, you know, and I wanted the structure and system to be built well. And I, I wanted, you know, to pay somebody <laughs> to, to help me navigate some of the logistical pieces. Mm. And again, I guess I had kind of the flexibility in, in the, on the financial side. And so that made it possible. I also really felt that, and just, I guess I should speak just for a minute about the flexibility in the financial standpoint. I had, we had plans to do some home renovations and I had some, we had a HELOC and some money set aside for it, but it was kind of sitting there. And then this idea germinated, and then we repurposed that money for my business. So it's not, it's not like it was just sitting there aimlessly, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, there was, there's a opportunity cost, you know, to, to doing it, but on the same note, the money was there and that we could put towards this. And so, you know, there's that piece. So, you know, I'm grateful that we could make it, that it was financially feasible for us. And then the other piece, I guess, is, you know, I was very much at risk of, okay, I've said it out loud, but doing a U-turn, you know, <laughs> running the other direction. I know that I can do this, but I... Come out. <laughs> yeah. And so actually, you know, signing on the dotted line and onboarding with another organization, because <laughs> that's what Freedom Health Works are, right? To help make this, this possible. And, you know, I spoke to a couple of other physicians who are doing direct specialty care or, or a, a pediatrician who's doing direct primary care. And they were wonderfully encouraging. They mm. were like, oh yeah, you could do this. And yeah, you can put all those pieces together. But again, I also kind of thought, is that what I want to spend my time doing? And I knew that, you know, some things I would rethink unnecessarily and, you know, Freedom Health Works, they'll, like, they'll keep you moving forward. And so, I mean, there's many different ways to do it. This is the way that I chose. It's also summertime. My kids are off. Goodness, yeah. Summer, they're not all in camps every single week. And so, you know, I wanted to spend my time, you know, with them mm -hmm. and also get my practice going. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So you, I know you, you sent us the proposal from them to kind of look at, and this is, this kind of gives you a taste into the role of like what I am. And as so funny, if you have a financial planner and you're starting a direct care practice or any business for that matter, we're kind of like the whole pokers typically in that situation, mm -hmm. you know, second set of eyes kind of thing. So Maggie sends me the, this proposal and email from the Freedom HealthWorks people, you know, about the practice and the cost and the, the, all this stuff. And, yes. you know, we have like a zillion questions. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think I had a handful. And then Daniel, you had, a, I was like, they are all excellent questions. Why did I not think of any of those? <laughs> yeah. And then they, they joke with me about, they're like, you got to take it easy on us. <laughs> oh, I, really? Yeah. I mean, but we're, you know, we just have to play it case by case and we want to really, keep people on their toes and make sure yes. all those bases are covered. And, and, you know, 80% of the time it's favorable because you've already done lots of good due diligence and you're doing it for the right reasons. And like you've all, you've explained, like it's a, it's good for you to do this, but on occasion we'll find some stuff in there. That's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe you should look at another because surprisingly there's a, a handful of companies doing, this is a, a very evolving field or I guess, I don't know if I would call it, not field, but like way of doing, of way of practicing medicine. It's a quickly evolving, fast growing, new way of doing medicine. And so there's all kinds of new companies and players and people getting involved in it and it's growing really fast. So it's kind of exciting, but it's also, you know, you got to kind of make sure you're checking all the check boxes and, you know, yeah. aligning with the right people. So that particular company you're working with, they've done it with several hundred practices already. So it's like, that's 
kind of nice to instead of just you know doing it your first time solo it's it's like you can kind of leverage all of that yeah and so again that kind of speaks to you know how ill-founded many of my fears were you know because there's there's there are people to partner with to make it happen who have done it before and it's not new to them even if it's new to you and so it's been really helpful for me um mm -hmm. to have that and I was really grateful you know you asked them all the tough questions <laughs> yeah and, they had yeah. pretty good answers so that helps you did right <laughs> yeah I was like oh yeah pretty good yeah yeah and, and so sometimes asking having just the the correct language you know yeah. when it comes to something in healthcare I can you know come up with the right language but the financial the mm. financial pieces you know it's kind of silly to say you're going to start your own business and then not even know how to put together a business plan but yeah that yeah. was me but you know the medicine of it I feel confident I can do the business piece I need some help with yeah you well you got people on your team that can help and that's and you can and it allows you to do the medicine piece more efficiently and focus on it at least more and that that's a a big deal too well i know we're getting towards the end i don't want to take too much of your time i've really appreciated you coming on to chat but i was hoping if we could if you have a few more minutes i was hoping if you could share a little bit more about like what it's going to look like what the practice the new practice is going to look like what sort of services like how are, and maybe somebody's listening and they're like I don't even know how she's going to make any money. Like, cause yeah. we just said you're not taking insurance. So maybe okay. you could give us a little bit of a snippet as to what you, I know that's probably going to evolve over time, but what you yeah. see that looking like. So I'm hopeful in the next couple of months that we'll actually launch my practice. So it's, we've got a name. It's called the GYN space. What is it? The GYN space. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's a gynecology practice for girls, teenagers, adolescents, young adults, and it's on a virtual platform only. So it's not full scope PD adolescent gyne. There'll be some, you know, limitations there because I'm starting off virtually only. So hang on a minute. What was the other piece of that, of the question? Yeah, I was just curious, like, how, how are you going to make money? That's kind of a critical part. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. Freedom HealthWorks ran the financials and they looked great. Yeah, um, whether they gonna, all transpire like into reality or not to be determined, you might have to have me back for a part two. <laughs> well, you're going to, you're going to do like a retainer sort of setup and some, maybe some one-off visits for fee for service. So mostly, you know, there will be a membership piece. Yeah. But most of what I'll do will be initial consultation. And then if they want to sign up for ongoing care, they can and play a monthly membership fee. Mm. Or if, you know, they just need an initial consultation and then follow up a year from then, then there'll be like a follow-up consult fee. Mm. So it is direct fee for service. Yep, so like patient in the pays sense you. That it's transactional in the sense that you know, transparent service, my pricing will be, yeah. Billing is far simplified. Like it's the yes. patient pays you. Yeah. When so you eliminate insurance, you know, billing gets. My website will say, if you have this, this, or this, it will cost this, this, or this to be, mm. I still have a little bit of a question mark over, you know, it's always been really important to me to see patients of all payer status. And so, you know, I still have a little catch in my heart about, hey, is everybody going to be able to access my services? And I've tried to be thoughtful and, you know, as physicians, I think, you know, we're not all that connected to the finances of medicine when we work for large organizations. Mm. And so setting pricing and things like that is surprisingly hard and mm. trying to set a price that's reasonable that's also been a challenge. And then, you know, there are some great practices out there with kind of Robin Hood models and different things like that <laughs> that have me kind of thinking about things. So huh. I do want to have 
you know, different pricing. So a membership for fees, but then also an accessible fee option so that, you know, finances aren't a barrier, but at the same time, I'm providing a service. So Mm -hmm. that has to come with a cost right? at the same time. So balancing some of that is still something I'm trying to work out, but yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to hear on the back end how people, how the patients respond differently because so, I mean, I have worked with, as a patient, I'm talking about with a traditional physicians and then also indirect care models. And it's dramatically different, like, like, like night and day different has been my experience as a patient. And I think I would imagine that's how most people experience it. And I'm, you know, curious, it depends on a lot of things and specialty and what the services actually are. And, but one of, one of the particular changes that I was thinking about is when people start paying for something, they start to get a little more like vested in it, which is a, you don't always realize that on the front end when you're doing all this stuff. So what I have noticed is typically the more people pay, like, and it, and I'm talking about more in relation to their world. So and some people don't have as much means as other people, but like more in relation to their world, the more that people tend to pay, the more vesting they have in whatever XYZ's service it is. And they're going to kind of show up and ask the hard questions. And, but that also helps you or, you know, whomever you're working with to, to be in a better, like they have their, their ears are tuned in really well to what you're saying, as opposed to when it's free or not, you know, free in air quotes, like free in our traditional system, like people have the tendency to be like, oh yeah, well, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I will say too, that my niche of expertise is, you know, it's an important, it's an important field and there aren't a whole lot of pediatric adolescent gynecologists. And so reproductive care for adolescents and, you know, in young adults isn't widely available. Mm. And my patients come from all over to see me. And so Mm. taking away some of those access barriers and taking away, you know, they always worry about if they see me, are they going to need a pelvic exam? And so when all of that's put on a virtual platform, I feel like it's, it's going to hopefully be more accessible and more acceptable to them seek reproductive care. Mm. And I think their needs that largely go unaddressed. And so I'm hopeful that this sort of a model will meet teenagers and young adults where they're at and give them a service that they value. And I hope the financial part of it all works out well. Oh, it'll work out. You'll you'll be just fine. Yeah. (laughs) Not we'll come up with a plan B. Yeah, there's always a plan B. And you mean, you know, I can't figure it all out at the start. I've got to step in and then. That's the difference in entrepreneurship and practicing medicine. Practicing medicine is you go for excellence and then you start to practice. I'm kind of. And, you know, let's go for like 90 plus percent before, you know, but then you, you, you do it and you strive for perfection or near perfection. In entrepreneurship, it's like, let's go for like, eh, decent. Like, let's do the best we can and then go Good try enough. it out. And then like, it's going to fail some and then you tweak it and then you keep put it out again and then it's going to fail and then you tweak it. And then slowly you're like evolving it based on your experience with the failures right. to make it better so that it caters more to what the need is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that it's a different, it's kind of a different mindset, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a mind shift. Yeah. 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 Embrace the failure. Failing forward is one of my favorite books. It's a John Maxwell book, but it's, it's I might have to read it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. It's, it helps to get that mindset where you're like, failure is actually a stepping stone to, to the next level of, or evolution of the practice. Yeah. I think we have to be willing to, to risk, right. Mm -hmm. In order to kind of move forward. Yes. Well, you are definitely taking that risk and I, commend you on that. Congratulations on making the big jump. And I feel like we have to reconnect to talk about it after. So, you know, maybe a year or something like that. I don't know, give it some time and there'll be a part two. And we're going to talk about all the great things (laughs) to be continued. continued. The conversation will be continued. And I look forward to hearing all that good stuff.
Thank you, Daniel. Yeah. Thanks I for coming it. on. Yeah. It's been great. And yeah. you've been a big part of our financial journey. And yeah, uh, I think, you know, I owe you in no small part. Well, so it's very rewarding for us. One of the most rewarding things I'm like kind of the, in the role of like, I'm proud of the successes. That's super rewarding for us to see families we work with. And the, one of the most rewarding things like that we see is when people take the big jumps that are in alignment with their value and despite the finances. So that's, that's like a, especially proud moment for me. So. I'm, I'm very proud. And I'll also mention that we took a leap on you based on your virtual. Yes, it was. Because <laughs> we've actually never met in person. I know, right? I know. That's why it's very similar to what's going on with direct care and medicine. It's like we did that in 2014 in finance and it was, it's, it's a, there's a lot of similarities. So thank you for taking the risk and. A calculated risk. Yeah, yeah, it worked out really well for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Maggie. You've been listening to Finance for Physicians. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast player. On this show, we believe that when you prioritize your finances, you take better care of yourself, have more fulfilling relationships with your families, and most importantly, provide higher quality care for your patients. If you feel this way too and want to learn more, then make sure to join our community. Follow the Finance for Physicians Facebook group for bonus content and sneak peeks on next week's episode. Thanks for listening.